This episode of the Logic Podcast is brought to you by AJA, together with Flame since 2006. We would like to welcome to the Logic family our friends at Hotspring. Hotspring is the future of VFX outsourcing. Hotspring connects you to great artists to get your projects done, making it easier than ever to access the best talent around the world. I highly encourage if you need any help with Roto, Paint, 3D Match Move, or Cleanup, give the folks at Hotspring a shout. You will not be disappointed. www.thehotspring.com And last but not least, Logic Academy Pro. If you haven't checked it out yet, I highly recommend it. There are so many cool courses that range from CG car replacement, Nuke for Flame Artists, Mocha, color management, VFX supervision, and also meetups for mentoring your career. So check out logicacademypro.com. Awesome, guys. Thank you. I'm super excited about this episode. I think, you know, VFX supervision, everybody wants to know more about it. And even if you've done it before, you're always thinking, is there is there a better way to do something? I'm sure you guys might feel the same. So could we just do a quick intro, kind of like a who, what, where? And uh, Inti, uh, we could start with you. Well, yeah, I, I yeah, I'm a flame artist who occasionally do visual effects supervision. Um, I, 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 I never had, you know, like a proper, uh, film education. And, and I think that, uh, my approach to VFX supervision is, is, is mostly from the designer's point of view. So I, yeah, so it's a different take. Uh, I, I had to learn a lot of, of it by myself and, you know, like trial and error. And yeah, it's something that I enjoy doing especially when I have to, when I get to finish the job, right? Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I, 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 I wanted to talk about that, about, because I, I, I've worked with people who, who actually had a very uh, high uh, education regarding uh, film, film cinematography. You know, there's people who actually know the ins and outs of, of all this stuff. And I'm not, I'm not one of them, you know, <laughs> And and that's why my approach is is, is 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 I think is different because I I I supervise from the from the operator point of view, you know, from the flame artist point of view. And and, and it's a different it's a different approach. Uh, I, I always say that we have we have flame and nuke and we also have flame supervisors and nuke supervisors, you know. I think that the way at least I like to think that the way that we supervise is is, is more similar to the way we use flame, you know, it's, 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 it's less technical, less detail and more um, purpose oriented. For sure. Yeah. If I may say. Yeah. I, I can't wait to dive into that. John, can we get a quick uh, who, what, where from you? Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I came through, yeah, Nuke and Flame compositing and then and also fed amount of match moving and then now on the long and arduous path of becoming a show supervisor i'm doing additional vfx supervising of the credits you get at the beginning where you are doing uh, in charge of the second unit uh, which i find my favorite part of film supervising because it's normally stunts or it's normally like a very specific side of it whereas the full show supervisor is a lot more political role as i'm learning uh yeah just gradually making my way through 
the underground <laughs> to get there. Wow, that's cool. Awesome. Randy, can we get a, a who, what, where from you? Yeah, sure. My name is Randy McEntee. I'm a flame artist, just like you guys. I'm also a commercial uh, visual effects revisor. I do a little bit of episodic, but mostly commercials. Uh, I've been doing that, uh, spent 13 years at the mills in New York and Chicago, and been freelance uh, doing flame and VFX supervision for the last three years. Awesome. Yeah, it seems like we have a, a wide variety here. We, you know, commercials, some episodics, some film, which that's awesome. I guess before we really get into kind of like being on set and all of that, how do you guys, and I know every project's different, how do you guys generally break down, say, a like storyboards or a script? I know commercials and episodic and film are all different, but maybe we could get like a take from each of you, you know, before you get to set, like what kind of things are you looking out for? Celebrities and babies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> right? They're like, you have 20 minutes with this celebrity um, and yeah. it's a ton of VFX. <laughs> yeah. Well, kick us off, John. What do you think? I mean, that's a wild question because like really like a lot of the time it is what it is and you just have to run with it. So it's like, yeah, because it's like, I mean, there's a plan where everyone's like, we're going to shoot this. This is the idea. Maybe someone's done an unreal set or some kind of like previs or something. And especially if like it's heavy stunt work or it's like something where there's there's going to be a, a whole bunch of stuff that they've planned beforehand, like um and they'll have rehearsed in a space that they've drawn out on the floor that exactly what it's going to be, but then they'll do it on the actual day. And they'll be like, we need to change this. And we need to change that. And then you just got to run with it. And then normally it's VFX's job around that to figure out how we fit into that. And we can't really break, break the flow of anything. Um, yeah. You don't really want to tell the DP where they can put the, or can't put a camera. You definitely don't want to get in the way. Um, and, you know, so it's, it's really down to, being able to roll with it and just see what we're getting like sometimes we're on set and it's like okay cool all of a sudden they're going to shoot the cam they're going to turn the camera this way and no one thought they were going to turn the camera this way and there's a whole bunch of like scaffolding on all the buildings and then it all becomes a fully cg street to replace all the buildings and then we don't have a lockup so we have to scan the entire street in the lunch hour and um that's what you do so <laughs> yeah yeah right, right it's like you can make a plan and then uh once they start shooting you can just toss it <laughs> yeah, and just yeah. like you said go with the flow that's awesome inti how about you um do you well i i really tried i really tried to to meet with the director first as as much as possible you know um I think that I agree with John. There's no way we can foresee whatever is going to happen on the on the on the shoot. But I I, I always like to to have an idea of what we're going to do. You know, it's, it's very important because at least for me, it makes me know what I have to bring to the shoot. Mm -hmm. You know, I I I usually when I go supervise, I I don't I don't have like this big kid. Uh, you know, I remember when I, when I was with ambassadors. They used to send me with a, with a big suitcase full of stuff. You know, I used to have like the gray balls, like the the metal balls, like the things to measure the lights. You know, I got everything, and and I ended up not using half of it. You know, every time. You know, and right now when when I'm gonna go on a trip to to supervise, I usually try to know what am I I'm going to need. You know, and sometimes. Uh, 
uh, um, a tape measure is really good, you know, and sometimes uh, um, a regular camera is, is really good, you know, and and it's always good to know what's going to happen so you can be prepared, you know, but then again, you never know what's going you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Randy, how about you? Like, what do you, I mean, like we said, every job's different, but what, what's mm -hmm. your normal kit that you're going with? Oh, well, like Indy said, it always depends, right? I think, yeah, we have all got suitcases, but the goal is since we're, I usually sit in front of a desk most of the year is to move as little as possible because I'm getting weak and soft. Um, <laughs> I, it, I think, by the, I mean, by the time you're you're headed to the airport, you know, you've had, you know, in my in my little world, probably at least a dozen conversations <clears throat> with clients, with directors. So you kind of have a plan, and based on what you can control and and what you need to own, it could be a small kit of just camera, laptop, and and some stuff, or it could be, like Inti said, you know, if it's a night shoot, you could be, you know. You need stuff to track. You need basically a way to speak on behalf of every department head. And so you need to kind of be able to cover, you know, everything from match move to anim to textures to render light to comp to finish to edit to color to produce all that stuff, right? Um, and so each shoot is a little different. But it, if, if you know what you're on the hook for, what you've promised, I mean, that's the real reason we're there. We're there to keep a promise. Someone has said, someone has given us a to-do list and said, we need you, we need it done with this parameters by this date and this schedule. And it's our job to manufacture a way to manipulate all these different parties uh, to get what we want and to keep our promise. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally good point. That so sounds nice. That sounds really nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they, yeah. They're, keeping, they're keeping the promise. They, they're keeping the promise part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's really what it is, right? Someone hands you a bid and like, this is our bid. And you got to figure out, you know, oh, you know, because life will happen. And if you can control everything, if they're shooting inside, my God, you can sit down and enjoy yourself. But like, you know, if you're if you're doing John stuff and you're outside and you don't have control and no traffic closure or not enough cops, then you know, oh yeah, yeah, things are different. Oh yeah, I'm just always surprised. I think, like, I guess when I was like starting off doing shows, like it would be like I don't know, a friend's indie film or something like that, and you're like, this is chaos. <laughs> I can't wait to get on like a proper show where it's going to be like not chaotic at all and it's going to be completely organized and it's just. It's just more chaotic. Right. That's what it just is. Just more people just, running around. It's <laughs> a different scale of madness. The bigger the shows get, and like I'm honestly amazed that any movie actually gets made at all. Agreed. <laughs> it's just well, like I, I, I gotta say, my first shoot was like I don't know, 25 years ago, and I remember that the the, the scene that impressed me the most was the catering. <laughs> yes that's awesome i'm honest i'm honest i remember I, I i i mean it was my first time i didn't have a clue of how it was going to be and first of all there was a lot of people mm -hmm. there were way more people than i than i expected i never saw that to shoot a spot you needed 20 plus people you know right it was very surprising to me um and, and the food was really also surprising. I mean, there was like this big table with all these fruits and all these hams and cheeses and cheddar. I was like, damn, homie, this is, <laughs> this is the good part. And, yeah. and, and then, and then I, I, I made one of these uh, beginner mistakes, which uh, at some point somebody's going to ask you, what do you think? Mm -hmm. you know? like, like, you here, tell us what you need. And, and the only thing that you cannot do is talk shit about photography. <laughs> right. you, know, you cannot say, 
you know, I will put another lie here. <laughs> you know, because the DP, the DP is going to eat you alive for the rest of the shoot. Right. He's not going to talk to you anymore. You know, you're going to be the enemy. You're going to be the enemy for the whole thing. So I see that yeah. it's very... It's very delicate to 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 because you're there trying to tell people who know what to do what to do, you know, and and it's very difficult because you usually dealing with people who are very specialists in what they do, you know. Yeah, I work with very good uh, DPs, and 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 I don't do that anymore, but I used to, and and that's an advice for for beginners here, you know, try to make friends with the DP. He's your, he's, he's your friend, you know, he's, talk to him first. And, 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 you know, that's the kind of thing that, that I remember most of my first days, you know, like making all those mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, obviously, you know, the director DP, and then I always found the assistant director too, because mm-hmm. they're normally running the schedule and, you know, you, you need to be kind of with them on like what you need so then they could block out that um i don't know if you guys yeah. agree with that but i always found if you're if you're good with the ad then you're it's going to be much smoother yeah so i would put a, in our own context it's like we're going to have there's a hierarchy of supervision on a movie you have like the show supervisor overarching there's going to be maybe a supervisor out from a vendor who's doing this scene specifically and then we'll be handling the digital capture of this entire environment. So we'll be like, okay, now it, we have to then let everybody know, or maybe like the production manager, VFX production manager, we would have sent out emails to every department saying, hey, we're scanning this, like after the shoot, da la la la. Everybody knows, it's been on the emails, get to set. Everyone's like, this is the first time we knew we're scanning this environment. What are you talking about? No, it's just like you have. No one knows anything. You're just like, we told everybody. And then like, you have to then tell all the AD and ADs and uh, hey, everybody again, let everyone know again, we're all going to be there. Blah, blah, blah. And then everyone's just like, you're taking too long. You've got to get out. You've got to get out. We were closing it. So it's just like a constant battle in that respect. Uh, but it's like, you just have to accept you're going to be shouted at, I think. And it's just kind of like, you know, we're going to be here until you tell us to get out and we're good with it. Mm-hmm. We're not going to take it personally you know, and then the AD is normally just kind of like, cool, as long as we can just get up, make our days. Yeah, exactly. You know, John, I'm, I'm curious, um, with scanning, what kind of equipment are you using? How long does it normally take? Cause I've actually never done any of that, like LIDAR scanning or any of that. So I'm just kind of curious. How do, how does that go? Well, you need like how many flight cases is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm just kind of curious well, in that workflow. Like you said, you know, time is of the essence, and you're like, crap, I got to scan this whole environment here. Like, <laughs> well, it's normally like people, like, I, I used to do all this on my own. It was insane. And then I, um, now I have a little LiDAR company, and uh, we're, when, you know, during peak production, we're like eight to 10 people. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, on a show, there'll be some, depending on the scale of the environment, you need like three people probably. There'll be one person doing photography for photogrammetry, one person doing the LIDAR and another person doing like texture photography. Oh. And there's just no way to get it all done in the window that you're going to have because a lot of the time you're really dependent on light. So yeah. it's like, if you're doing photogrammetry, the only real you like, if you're doing it for match moving, it's really helpful to have textures on the meshes 
to be able to get um, camera tracking data off it but okay. versus just geometry, pure geometry. Um, however, if the, um, if the lighting is completely different to what was shot in, uh, that photography is only good for match moving. Whereas if the lighting completely matches the photography on the day when you were there, then that could be used for actual background replacement. So, it's, you know, and then you have cross-polarized photography where you're shooting it with a flash, with a polarizer on one at 90 degrees and a polarizer on the flash itself turned at uh, opposite 90 degrees. So when you shoot, you get zero reflections on your object. Um, okay. And I like that. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice little trick right there. <laughs> no, I mean it's like we, when you do the photo booths with um, actors, or when we'll scan them. Like some of the more fancy booths will do uh, three shots, like in 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 very quick succession. You have cross, and you'll get one that's cross polarized, one that is um, like a, a ambient light, another one's like a look look development lighting. So it's like a three point lighting. So when some supervisors at like Warner like A and B between the CG objects and the real objects. So you've got like a um, a perfect sort of beauty lit version of the real actor, and then you're like white between them and the CG ones, so they can compare them. Oh, that's cool. It's really cool. Nice, um, John. It seems like you're working on some really big shows uh my experience it's not a small area of the really right right well but what, that's what i mean is like that's how many people are in the vfx crew on set um my experience is with the the commercials i've worked on it's normally i'm the only one there you know to kind of capture everything um but i'm curious if you guys have the same experience if you're normally um going to set solo or when you do have a team how do you kind of delegate the work um randy could we hear from you on that yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I, it all comes back to what the script is and what it needs, right? And so when you're breaking down a script, um, you're trying to think of, first of all, where you're going to be. Um, if you're going to be in a stage or on location, you know, it's easy peasy. But if you're going to be in a car or multiple cars with chase vehicles uh, or a stadium or a large environment with hundreds of extras, you know, that's just the real estate, right? So just think about like how far can your body travel in 30 seconds? Mm -hmm. And if it's more than a few, you know, a little bit, then you're going to need a second body. Um, I'm almost always by myself, but anytime we'd work with vehicles or crowds, um, especially if we're doing T poses for crowds, that'll be a, a separate person, maybe two people just for T poses of extras and textures if we're doing that. Um, or sometimes if it gets really dicey, then we'll need a producer with us, um, just someone to, um, to help respond to life. Mm -hmm. You know, weird stuff happens all the time. And, uh, as someone who, who spent a lot of time bidding, I kind of am comfortable in that world, but not everyone is. And so, um, it's usually myself exclusively, uh, or with a producer or an EP, someone who's client driven, focused, client focused, um, uh, or sometimes a, a second person to uh, textures, uh, stills, measurements, more data gathering, and less relationship or less um, more techie. Yeah, yeah, sense. like less contact with maybe the director or the DP, stuff like that. Just but like helping get <clears throat> yeah. all the, the elements that you're going to need later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, when you think about a call sheet on a, on a film shoot, right, like VFX has their own call sheet. And so you should just got to be really careful with, with, uh, you know, having too many people in too many kitchens. For sure. 
Oh, that's great. Inti, how about you? Well, I, I, I usually work alone. Uh, I, I haven't had uh, the, time, the chance to, to, to get a team for supervision, but I usually work with a producer on site, you know, mm-hmm. especially because producers are better to speak with clients than flame artists. You know, right, uh, right. Producers always can uh, get you more time, get you whatever you need, get you from, get get some people to actually listen to you, which is very difficult in this kind of uh, environments. Yeah, because uh, again, remember we we there just to orient in how to keep a promise, as you know, as Randy said, and and sometimes I, I guess my biggest frustration is that sometimes we are not here enough. And, and, and I think producers are, are very good to, to help you with that, with that aspect, you know? And, and, and also sometimes I think that one of the biggest uh, constraints that we have is time, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been working on, on, on some shoots that you have four hours to do this, you know? You have three hours to do this. And, and, and sometimes, uh, you know, the assistant director, uh, times out how the whole shoot is going to be without your your input you know and 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 most of the times i, I find that that is always good to have some time that can, that can speak for you you know that can can buy you more time hey guys these trackings are not well we need to do it again or this guys this light is not working or, or there is a shadow in the front of the face of the character so all those kind of things uh, usually they don't want to redo it you know and and i think that the, the the biggest help that i've get i've gotten from producers is trying to actually help me deal with the uh, with the crew you know it's, it's, it's a very delicate uh, situation i may say mm-hmm. for sure um john back to you because it seems like you you kind of have more of a crew to capture all that are, are, do you have a consistent crew that you work with on shoots I would, i'd say i mean i Staying on this topic, like I think that like it's all relative, right? Like the chaos is just bigger. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you feel like, oh, I'm just on my own, not on a shoot. Like I, I still do commercials as well. I've gone in there and you're just kind of like, wow, we've got to do 10 shots today. You're just like, what? <laughs> and three locations? What the hell? Like you're just kind of like, this is crazy. But it gets like, it's just the, the chaos is just different, I think. Like it's all relative. Like, um, but like, I mean, there are full, like, if you're doing a fully CG commercial where you've got to do like a CG character or something like that, I don't know if you'd want to be just one person yeah. on something. It's like, mm-hmm. if you've got something where like the character person, you know, is going to be interacting with things or whatever it is. So yeah. Yeah. I've derailed. Sorry. What, what was your question again? <laughs> oh, no, just more of um like kind of how you like delegate, you know, with your crews. It seemed like when you were kind of explaining so how you would capture stuff it seemed like that you would have yeah. two people helping you out you know yes yeah, so we'd be given like a task then like okay we're going to capture across the show there's a whole bunch of lidar that needs to happen yeah there's like these big things are going to happen like this is a street that needs like set deck have done like the entire ground floor of this street but everything above it you know because it's all they've made it all look like 1970s new york or something and now everything above the first floor is going to be digital uh, set extension. So got to scan the entire street and then they can then track that and uh, uh, replace it all in post. Um, and then you'll get there and you'll realize that, yeah, it was 
they only managed to do three buildings along the street. So it's actually a much bigger task than what you thought. So it's just, yeah, you never have enough people. It's just relative. Like, I think it's just, you just have to roll with it and just, you make do with the people you have. And yeah. like you say, you stick it's, I think commercial is actually a better staffed a lot of the times than features. Oh, really? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, I think in, probably because commercials is, commercials are rarely shot, um, at least in my experience, are really sh- kind of rarely shot where a lot of the post happens. So, so sending someone is actually really expensive. Um, you know, it could, it could be 20 to 30 grand to send someone. And so, you know, you got to figure out what is important and what matters. And that's usually figured out like hearing John wing stuff. It's like, yeah, there's kind of, you know, life happens, but there's very few things that we end up winging on commercial sets because usually you've got a lot of stuff kind of figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the talent shows up with a mustache and all bets are off. Um, <laughs> that's exactly it it's just kind of like you've got the um when i've done commercials it's like it's normally if i'm if i'm on a commercial it's normally going to be something that there's there's a very specific cg task in it um i'm not i'm not if i am it's not we're going to do a head scan of some actor or we're going to do it's a motion control thing and you've got cg products and all this kind of stuff so it's like that all that stuff has to be really thought through like I don't think you, because just the process of getting the motion control rig installed and there, it's a day to build the thing, a day to break it down. So there's often like a lot more planning that's gone into it. Like it's very few, like I see on films, I think they do, like we get more surprises because it's just kind of like, everyone just gets a bit more like excited about doing stuff. And then they're like, cool, what do we, why do we do this? Or like, oh, this whole, this building now needs to be completely replaced or something. Yeah, totally. So John, oh, are, are the, the, the art is not improved. That okay. The and what you're capturing on set, are you also doing most of the post work on it too, or do you hand off all the data to yeah. like a different company so or we, just project dependent? Uh, so we've been starting to do some assets actually, which has kind of been cool. Um, but mostly, what we do is we package up the data and then it goes to one of the vendors who's working on that shot. Okay. Or multiple. So um, in the case of it going to multiple windows, sometimes we've actually built the asset like we've done with the train, a subway car, um, where we've made the, um, built it, done all the maps, uh, put the photogrammetry on it, cleaned up the photogrammetry, re-apologized it, made it like animation already. Same with like uh, sometimes with face, faces of actors. Okay. Because um, then that can all just go straight to camera tracking. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. You know, I'm curious um, with all you guys, do you prep differently if you know you're going to take the job all the way through to finish or if you know you're going to be handed it off? Um, Meaning like, I know I'm going to be tracking the shot. I like tracking markers this way or I don't need tracking markers because I I use this technique in Mocha or whatever. But if you're going to hand it off, you're like, well, they they might not use that tool. So I'm going to put tracking markers. Like, do you guys prep differently? knowing who's going to be finishing it? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah, that's nice. Because usually, I think the difference for me is that if I'm going to do it, I don't write it down. I remember it. You know, I was there. And and and, and, and most, most of the times when I have to hand, it, hand, hand stuff out, I have to spend a lot of time trying to to translate that information, you know, mm-hmm. and to try to explain my feeling of the place when I was there, you know, like, 
because you can see pictures, but I can tell you, dude, this was it was it was hot, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the, yeah, I think there's a lot of, of 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 things that you get when you are in a shoot that only the person who's there gets, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and and you know, and and I, and I try to memorize. Uh, Pretty much everything that happens, I know which take is good. I know which take is bad. You know, I remember that he make a joke and the, and the guy laugh and, and and that's the take I need to use. And or I remember that there was a shadow that blocked the tracking market. So there's a lot of information that you, by being there, get that nobody else gets. Yes. And 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 I think that every time that I have to do that. I usually like to talk, to speak about it. I, I like to, to have a, a conversation with the person who's going to, you know, like, hey, ask me whatever you want to know. Because I, I, there's things that I that you might need that I that I don't, that I don't use, you know? Yeah. And, and for instance, I think one of the mo- things that I always use is the lens, you know, the information on the lens. And every time that I go to a shoot, you see the, uh, how you, uh, I don't remember the name, the, uh, the guy who is the, uh, assistant camera. The DIT, yeah. The, the, oh, the DIT that is recording the scene. And, and usually I always have to ask for, for, for lens, uh, the lens number because they don't give it to you, mm-hmm. you know, it's not something that they will use eventually. So for they, for them, what they need to use is, you know, uh, f-stops, how many f-stops, how many, how high was the camera from the floor. But the lens information, for instance, I always have to go and say, hey, dude, what lens are you using? Right. I've had you know, to badger uh, assistant camera doesn't, guys like that, too. It doesn't go with it. It doesn't, it doesn't get recorded and, and in many ways. And, and, and that, that's what I think that it's always good to speak. You know, if, if, if you're going to give the word to somebody else, just talk about it. You know, hey, dude, this was like this, this happened, this didn't happen. You know, the light was blinking faster than, it, you know, all that kind of information is usually very helpful. Yeah, for, I sure, for sure. You know, because I've gotten, because I've gotten, I've gotten into projects when somebody else did the supervision and it's, it's a problem sometimes. <laughs> because <laughs> Totally. I've, because I've for me, there's things that I that I that I expect by default. For instance, like the lens, you know, and sometimes it's, it's just not there. Mm-hmm. You know? And you know, the, for instance, the, dif- the the big difference that I've seen working for film is that in film there is a team of people who create your cue sheets, you know, your your all your your information, and which doesn't happen in commercials, you know. In in yeah, in, the data right. At least when I work. You know, exactly. You get you get a full sheet of information, you know. The camera was here, everything, everything. I, I really like the way a film is uh, handled in that aspect. Well, we, we, I, can, I can touch on that as well, actually, because we have our own issues with that as well. Yeah, please do. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, so it's a data wrangler's job, but the, we're in a bit of an unregulated industry. Like, there's no kind of, like, career path through on-set visual effects. It's like we normally stealing someone from another department and like, Hey, you're working VFX now. And they're like, okay, cool. Great. And then, um, then they work their way up to kind of being, Oh, a data wrangler, because I was assistant data wrangler on this. And my job was basically uploading data to the server. And now I'm kind of been given a camera and I'm told to go and get all this set data. And it was kind of a bit of a wild west and it still kind of is, but, um, we're just desperate for people, I think. So it's just like, 
as the shots get bigger and bigger and the demands get bigger and bigger and the shows get, you know, like shows that you wouldn't have no idea how many visual effects are on. And it's like, oh, is this a, we thought this was a costume drama. You know, we didn't realize this was a, a VFX show. And it's like, well, who's going to replace all those things? <laughs> right. <laughs> There's like power right. lines back there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All those shows that like, you know, they shoot in Atlanta to, for the tax credit. But the reality is it has to look like New York. And then it's like, you know, there's no open air car parks in New York. You go into Atlanta and it's like, it looks nothing like New York. Yeah. So there's like one little bit that looks like downtown. That's where everyone shoots in. But then you realize the roads are too wide. And it's like, yeah, this isn't New York. But it's like... <laughs> and there's and there's no pigeons. Yeah. But oh, yeah. Like so Inti really picked on it. It was like, you know, you've got to, you know, learn the crew and know, you know, it's good advice to people is to like, you know, get to learn, the, get to know the first AC. You have to appreciate the first AC's job is quite hectic as well. Oh, yeah. So they're going to be like, you know, sw- you don't want to be like, going up to them while they're switching a lens that or trying to fix the servo motor on the follow focus and you're like hey what lens is that they just don't want to hear <laughs> you know so it's like you just have to make yourself known to them and get I learned the hard way as well yeah exactly we all do i think but then after a while you get to know them and you sort of you'll get a point where like you know you've you've got a good repertoire with them and then you look at them and they look at you and they go i got you just come back in five minutes and i'll tell you what yes. lens it was um or you know, just walk up to it and snap a photo with your cell phone. It's like, that's what I would wait. The one, the one thing I would say is that we don't get enough. When, when I do have a criticism of people on set or criticism is the wrong word, but like Inti was saying, when you get data from other people, like I would say that it's just not enough photos. Like we, uh, um, uh, like, you can look at the height of a camera, but the, moment, the problem is the moment your back's turned, they could lower the camera because they're like framing a shot. They think it's good. And then you walk over and goes, it's seven feet from the ground. Great, cool, got in my notes. You walk away and then they lower it by two feet and they change the lens on you. So it's just kind of like, I think it's just one thing I learned from Weta was that you just take like a grid of photos, like from the where the camera is positioned, looking out with a wide angle lens, just take one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And you've got basically what that camera was looking at. Because if that camera is on a 60 millimeter or a 90 millimeter lens, then there's very little context as to what that camera was looking at. Whereas if you've got like a whole bunch of photos um, from each camera position and you've just organized it in each folder after each take and you, you know, it does make your data management on set a lot more critical, but it's like, if you're in the match moving department, because that's primarily who we're servicing on set, is that, um, and that was, again, going back to tracking markets, I think we can have another discussion about that, but like, um, because I, I mean, I've worked on hundreds of shows now, and it's just kind of like, everyone has a different way of doing tracking markets, like every supervisor has their own unique way of doing it, so I don't think there's any kind of like good or bad way to do it, I think that um, I got, I'm going to derailing this, but like the um, back to the point was like the set photography is so important because it means that, you know, you don't care what height the camera was at, at that ultimately, because you just want to, if you've got photos of the camera position from where it was and you've got cameras like, and you've got photos from the lens, rough with the lens position, looking at everything it could have seen that's way more useful to somebody who's match moving because mm. they're looking at it and they're like, oh, 
I know what he was looking at now. Cool. Okay, got it. Now I can try and find the tracking marker that was in that area. Great, got it. Uh, that's a good point. Okay, nice. So just having a bunch of reference photography. And often, like, not reference photography, you just got really good photos of the cameraman using, like, your really good photos of the operator and really good photos of the DP. It's like, that's useless. Yeah. Like, you want to have like, <laughs> Great. photos of what the camera was looking at and, like, maybe, like, a couple of photos of giving context of the set. But like HDRIs are very good for that, for like actual oh, getting an idea of what's going on. But like actual photos, looking at the action from the position of the camera in a nice grid is just a really useful way because then they can just look at it and look at the take and go, great, I know what was happening here. That's cool. And are you normally shooting that grid just uh, handheld, just really quick? Or do you have it on like yeah, a little... Yeah, just turn up the yeah. ISO on the camera, put the shutter to like 300 and just go for it. Yeah, like, cool. You know, I take, a, I take a, I take I take a lot of pictures as well. I take a lot. I, yeah. I follow that 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 same path because again, I try to to remember everything that happened. Mm-hmm. Possible. So so I take I take a bunch of pictures, especially of the camera, especially of the lights, especially of the props. Everything I try to photograph everything with my phone. I mean, it's just reference pictures, you know. I just and and, and try to keep as much possible you know because yeah because two days later you're gonna forget about it yeah and also photos are quick like you can take photos and you don't have to ask anybody any questions you can be in and out and it's like once people are used to you being on set you're just kind of like yeah right. cool, just do their thing that's cool yeah randy how about you um i guess back to kind of like do you prep differently knowing if you're going to take it all the way through mm-hmm. or if someone's going to take it over and then also maybe like some onset stuff that we were mm-hmm. just talking about. Yeah, I, I think it's important. I mean, what we do is is a service. And I think it's just like anything else, cooking or haircutting or whatever, right? Like you're always doing it for someone. It's never for us. And so sometimes I work for major studios. Sometimes I work for small shops that, that you know, may be punching above their weight for a while. So it's really important that, uh, that we define easy, medium, and hard. Not like absolutely like like a screen cop. An easy is nothing in front of it, et cetera, et cetera, built from there. And so we have I make pretty specific rules and we'll allow easies, we'll minimize mediums and we'll avoid hards. And so, you know, we try to, to create that language because um what might be easy for me or hard for me is not for someone else. And ultimately they're they're the they're they're paying me to do that. Um as far as data on set, um, it's funny because from a commercial side, so many things uh, seem to be outsourced. Uh, I hope no match movers are, are listening to this, but uh, match movers are the first people I stitch up because like, um, if, if there's an opportunity for me to, to be with a client or be with a director and listen in on something to understand something or to kind of put pieces together, like I, I know very well that something can be figured out. Now, obviously there are cases where, you know, specific data really matters, but most of the time on commercials, it doesn't really matter unless we're doing a, a character from scene to scene to scene and everything really needs to be buttoned up. But most of the time it's a one-off. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'd rather, um, I'd rather be doing anything other than capturing data for a second uh, because, you know, someone in Thailand for 300 bucks can fix that for me. But no one from Thailand can be here to, for me to listen to the director and understand what is important about this 
mm-hmm. visual effects. So it's just knowing both. I don't yeah, always behave that way, but it's important, you know. John, you were going to say something. Like, <laughs> this hurts. This hurts. I know it hurts. I know. I know. <clears throat> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. When it matters, we hired John. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Like when it, when it doesn't, we send it to Thailand, and like I like you know I know I'm, everyone's cringing, but um, there's only one of us, and I'd rather make friends with the ECD than sometimes than uh, worry about whether a lens was 39 or 40 centimeters. Um, well, I think but when it matters, it matters. There is there is a certain element of that of like I think that like that certain times like you can you can look at it and go like oh we didn't get all the data, but like sometimes you can be as systematic as possible and like at least know you've got away with a bare minimum but like i mean i think lens grids are the least like we we I, I, the amount of shows or commercials and they just don't get a lens grid and it's like but they've shot on a really wide angle lens and it's like if you're shooting on a 50 millimeter lens then a lens grid is you can probably get away without one because the lens distortion is very little um like when they're doing a shot and it's like a close-up on a wide angle lens because it can create a lot of drama when you do that kind of stuff especially now we're seeing like those ari trinities everywhere like everyone's like oh this looks so sick i can spin the camera and it's like i've got to have it on a wide angle lens because then you get that drama and but like and then you realize it's a tracking you've got to do a tracking shot to replace the product on it because like um a lot of these product shots that, that they do now the only real way to fix it is by doing or like to really make it work is by tracking the geometry and putting black reflections or like you know things that like often happen but like doing that without a lens grid is just brutal sometimes because it's like you can't you know send it to the poor guy in thailand you seem to be suggesting that like you know they also turn around and say, no I'll give you a really bad track well you know speaking of lens grids do you guys request extra time for that like is that before the shoot or do you try and get it the day of because I, I know day of it's always chaos and they're trying to just capture the action but you know how, how do you guys do that out where doing, do it find out where they're doing the camera checkout and do it there okay yeah you can never do it you before can never never do it on a shoot day it's irresponsible it's reckless and it's going to cost you 100 grand I usually do it. I usually do it before because I know after it's not going to yeah. happen. You know, if, if I, I I made that mistake one that that we 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 forgot to request the the lens grid and 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 we tried to get them at the end after everything was shot and they okay. didn't care. Yeah. yeah, the only the only pro- yeah the that. only properly the proper time to request that is on is on camera prep day camera checkout day and 99 times out of 100 if they're in a major city with a camera checkout or rental place they've got the they've got the dolly or the track there they've got a couple lights that they can throw up and they've got grids there it may not be exactly what you want but the only time to request that is early if you do it late it's just reckless and not helpful Mm -hmm. okay yeah everybody's gonna be pissed at you it's it's a real like balancing act of trying to get what we need with everybody trying to thwart us at every opportunity mm-hmm. whether deliberately or not but everyone has their own everyone has their own thing to do you know it's like everyone's yeah know. well yeah i i was um got when i was freelancing got a 911 call like hey can you show up on set and it was like day of and of course you know I, I took it i was free and then but yeah i'm not gonna like stop down to 
get a lens grid. So had to hand off the job too. I mean, it seemed like it went well, but yeah, it's always tough when you get those like random calls, like, hey, can you just show up? And you're like, well, I need to get some information about it. We can't really do it, you know? So. Well, well, well. Do you do you remember that 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 show we discussed last time, uh, Glenn, with, with, in, that I yeah. was shooting a car in, in yeah in Buenos Aires? So so one day we didn't have the lens grid, and and I told the guy shoot that video. Ah, uh, okay, because yeah, because it has like straight lines and all of that. Yeah, you got a building right there. Shoot the building. Take me a shot of that building right there, and that's my that's gonna be my lens. Nice. Grid, you know? Is 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 a way of uh, uh, yeah. You, there's a lot of things you can do, you know, in, in in the field. You know, just just shoot that that thing that is square, and I'll I'll, sure. I'll get it from there. You know. It's, well, yeah, Andy. I know. Speaking of that ad, <laughs> um, you had the Logic Live on it, and you kind of broke down how you like to get clean plates, panning the camera, all of that, so then you could track it and then reproject. Um, are there any other techniques you use? like that or well I, I i i think that the main goal of my of me being in a in this kind of thing is because i need to track the camera you know i'm i'm a projection guy and and i try to project everything hence i need to get 3d right. track for everything you know i i like to have my scenes tracked completely full scenes and and because that gives you possibilities of fixing any part of the scene and, and that's that's usually the way I will I, I like to work. You know, I like to get my scenes tracked. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, and in order to do that, yeah, it's the, the tracking market issue. For instance, number one, I I, I I like my trackings big and heavy. You know, I like I like my tracking markers. Yeah, I remember that from that uh, the yeah. Hyundai ad. I think that that most of the people try to to make it as leader as possible. You know. And then you're going to have a problem. I, I always say that I rather erase, I rather spend time erasing tracking markets, but being able to track them first. Okay. There was a VFX supervisor you gave know? me a piece of advice, and he was like, "Paint is cheap, tracking is expensive." Oh, that's <laughs> good. That's good. Exactly. Like, get exactly. That's totally true. And I always say, oh, as well, paint your tracking markers. Just sit yeah. down, spend two hours. Just paint them out. Just paint the tracking markers out. Sometimes people spend like days tracking tracking mm -hmm. markers to then map out tracking markers. You know, and and right. And but tracking markers, I think they should be visible. For instance, the other day, for the first time, I never had this before. Oh yeah, I yeah, yeah. This yeah. Uh, new uh, I've seen those. tracking markers. I, I the first time, the first time, they're really good. It really, I mean, if you're shooting something dark, you know, mm -hmm. in, in the night. Yeah, Andy, I think we, we briefly talked about that on that podcast we recorded. I had just come off of um, a Nike job where the uh, VFX supervisor did that too. He put LEDs up throughout and uh, it was pretty good. Yeah, I used them a few days ago here in Miami and I was like, wow. I never, it was the first time for me, you know. That's and, cool. And they're really, they're really nice. Randy, what's your you know, take they, on tracking they, they, markers? They're really good. Yeah. Other than, yeah, other, other, yeah. Other than that, yeah. I use tape. <clears throat> tape. Yeah. You know? Just put a piece of tape on it. Yeah, I, I, I love tracking markers. I also love not painting out tracking markers. Um, I mean, it all, I mean, I just, it's just funny because it always depends, right? It's like, 
most of the time uh, there's small roto paint budgets set aside for overseas vendors and so if that's the case then paint's pretty cheap but if there isn't then a flame up is painting then then paint's costing you you know 12 13 1400 bucks a day you know three four grand to the client and so it just it always depends right mm-hmm. it literally always depends on where like who's performing some of this work again if it's for a big shot and you need to be in there no problem but if a shot is trackable um and there's enough stuff around to figure out where stuff is you know i might be a little bit more judicious but if something really matters and it's in a difficult environment then that's the difference you need to know by doing it yourself whether the match move is easy medium and hard and i know i can do the easies and mediums and the hards i should send out the john um (laughs) and so and that's but like but you know that's really what it's about it's about assessing kind of difficulty Gotcha. And pre- and preparing and planning for, oh. for some of that. Um, but yeah, okay, like tape, uh, you know, two and a half centimeter, five centimeter it. stuff, uh, LEDs, bike lights, glow <laughs> sticks. Those are all things we've used on sets, depending on you know what needs and 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 what matters. Mm-hmm. John, how about you? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I mean, I agree with everything that Inti said. Really, it was just kind of like you know, I like very visible tracking markers because I feel like, you know, it's, again, I, I totally agree with that thing of like, you know, tr- tracking is expensive and paint out is cheap. So it's like, just stick to that motto, I think. And like, I understand what Randy's saying, but like, I just find shots are just so hard nowadays. Like everything's got like, the, like everyone's shooting with anamorphics, everyone's shooting with these Ari heads, everyone's shooting, like it, there's just trends that happen and it's just kind of like, we have to respond accordingly with the visual effects. And also I think like, um, like Inti or, or Glenn, you touched on clean plates. It's like they're gold. Clean plates are absolute gold because like it's the same background as the, as the real camera footage. It's like, you know, you can do projections with and create an entire backdrop. Like we've made, I, I, I just worked on a show, um, and uh, uh, the VFX supervisor, Yannick Sers, and he was on The Matrix and he won an Oscar for that. He was one of the teams that, and like, he gave me an amazing piece of advice where, indirectly, and that was, uh, he was getting, they get clean plates after every take, every shot, he's getting clean plates. And the director on that was the same guy who did uh, the Spider-Man stuff. And I think, I don't know who was who came up and they would sort of someone grumbled about the having to you know take a clean plate wherever it was and and they were like i think a director actually said he's like i've rebuilt scenes from clean plates Mm -hmm. like i have saved my scenes with a clean plate and it's like because what you can do is you can like roto out the talent rebuild the shot put the talent back in put the talent from another take you can save an entire scene you can make a whole new scene from a set of clean plates if you've done it and it's like ultimately that's what you're trying to do you're trying to be, have enough ability to do it and like and yeah and what Yannick said was just incredible because it was just like yeah the, he gave me this advice on like how to do this stuff and I was just like yeah this is gold you know yeah I, yeah, I, I love I love that place. point from John too <laughs> yeah. and it's like you know, on the uh, on the commercial side, when you're only when you're only there for a day, <laughs> like there's just there's always this give and take with with being able to save the day, uh, but not sacrificing the day uh, to save the day that does need saved. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and so there's this unbelievable mm-hmm. amount of context professionalism. Um, and I know that John and NT uh, are like, you know, are, are, I know we see different sides of, of the business and kind of schedules and whatnot. And so am I like, you know, you can get away with murder on a state farm ad. I mean, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's not that it's going to be projected in a film for anyone to see. It's going to be, it's going to be off of TikTok in three weeks. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it's only 12 K not 30. <laughs> um, but like, there's just, it, but that's, it really comes down to just understanding and, and, and to be able to do it enough where you can make those calls that are really appropriate for situation because one day you will need to save the day and you actually need to be able to do all that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's really the interesting balance is understanding it and using that responsibility wisely in the context of a, of a, of a big crew. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just goes to show that, that even on like shows, like I was really surprised that they were able to get clean shots, clean plates for every shape take. And also, I mean, on poker face, the Steve Yedlin is the deep was the DP on the, um, episode I was on and, and they get clean plates on everything everything cool. clean plate clean plate clean plate clean plate and I was just kind of like wow some shows are really doing that and others I think Marvel specified clean plates but like we weren't able to get them on the show we were on so it's just like studios can mandate it but like show crews can also ignore that it would appear but like I don't know I'd say the clean plate is our least um, our most bang for buck thing that we can get out of anything that's a good point like, yeah. like even if we can't get an hdri i'd rather have a clean plate for sure like, for sure if i only have one one thing but it's like i'll get an hdri anyway even if i take it so, you know, this is kind of a random question um i i know obviously when you know it's a visual effect shot always get the clean plate but were they trying to clean plate almost just anything like dialogue scenes would they just do a quick clean yeah. plate? yeah they would just do that they just do the same shot again afterwards and do the clean plate it was kind of wild but like just i can see you can see why though because like what happens like um it's like you shoot a movie and i it's kind of like seeing seeing how movies really get made is freaking hilarious because it's like shoot the movie to the script and then you start the edit and you realize you have a five-hour movie and then you have 12 weeks to make that five-hour movie into a two-hour movie which the director wants it to be a two, a two hour 50. The studio wants it to be two hours 20 and it's going to land somewhere around two hours 30. But you've got to do all this in 12 weeks. And it's like this whack-a-mole yeah. thing because you're just slicing scenes out, making plot holes. And then it's just like, and this is where VFX comes in because it's like all of a sudden you've got a film that doesn't quite work because you've cut it down to this time frame that you've had to lose scenes to save time because if you bring this scene in you means you've got to bring that scene in which means you've also got to bring that scene in so if you lose this scene you can lose all of those scenes and now you just have to find a way of teleporting the story from this bit to that bit and it's like well what if we just make this entire scene night yeah. and it's like cool <laughs> this is we can buy this we can buy this and you see this have everyone just like okay yeah so we'll make this entire scene that everyone spent thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars this beautiful lighting night yeah and instead now we believe that they've done this to that and we can get the movie to the two hours and 30 minutes and it's just kind of like that's all of a sudden this becomes a whole vfx sequence out of nothing and then that's that's a very scary situation you just described there <laughs> like, 
that's like a nightmare situation, you know? But it's like, that's the reality of it. It's like, the reality is it, we're all, the end goal is like, whether it's a commercial or whatever, it's like, everyone has a, there's a master at the end that you're all serving. Mm-hmm. And in a commercial, it's often just the product. And like, everyone can think we're making this beautiful thing, but then the people who sign off on it, are just like, no, the, I know the shot's beautiful, but I'm, I want this shot which is not beautiful, but it really shows my product off. And then everyone has to go, okay, we're doing that one. You know, it's like, yeah, the perspective's all wrong, but you can really see the logo of the product if we rotate it like this. And everyone just has to just sort of like, right. okay, <laughs> doing and it's just like, you know, it's just, that's the thing. And the, in a movie, it's like the story is that what we're ultimately all serving is like, you're trying to make a really good story. And if the story works, then the movie will work. So whatever gets the story working. So if it means we have to lose the scene that everyone really love, you lose it. It gets put on the cutting room floor and it's just, that's just what happens. But like, it's amazing how much like VFX is involved in that kind of stuff because it's like, you could find that you've got, I don't know, a, a scene in the kitchen. And what the editor will do is they'll suddenly realize if they take the, left side of the shot from the first day and the right side of the shot from the other scene and they split screen the two together they've got a whole lot of drama that didn't exist before the problem is every time the camera pans from one to the other the cupboard door opens or the clock changes time right. so all of a sudden it's like a whole vfx sequence results as a result of it and it's like it wasn't meant to it wasn't shot like it was supposed to be a split screen either yep. so the camera going like this uh, the two sides of the image, but it's like, that's what you do to make the scene work. And then you've got a really good scene and everyone's like, no so, one knows. So, somebody's going to stabilize that shot. So. <laughs> that's right. Somebody will, somebody yeah. will fix it. Yeah, like sometimes, you know, you can have something, and I, you can have something where like the actor is, um, I don't know, something really like what happened on that show with, um, uh, what was it? The zombie one where like one of the actors got, said something really, I don't know what it was, but like they had to basically erase the actor out of the movie, oh, put wow. somebody else on top of them. And like, yeah, 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 yeah. That, they, they bring uh, Lotaro on it. Like, they did the whole thing. It you was crazy. suddenly had a whole, like that was none of these shots were meant to be VFX shots. And all of a sudden there are, yeah. I don't know how many shots you had to shoot. Yeah. I saw that one. Crazy. Just there that. it is. That yeah. get the clean plates. <laughs> get the clean plates. Yeah. Get the clean plates and cash the check. That's crazy. Got clean plates. It's like all of a sudden you you've got it because it's like if you've got a split screen, right? And it's like you've got a split screen. There's like two different. They were both handheld or whatever it is, and it's like they're going like this in different perspectives. You can't match those. It's not going to work. However, if you had a clean plate, you can roto in the two talents again. It doesn't matter if they kind of move like that because you you just your eyes see the background moving and you think that the actors are coming backwards and forwards or whatever, you can kind of stabilize them to make it work. But it's like, you can really save and it like you can. Yeah, like 10 minutes on a set can save hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yes. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I do see a lot of the um, well, I mean, it seems like those split screens were actually trying to make the story better. But I love it in commercials when it's just like the lazy editorial split screen. They're like, "Yeah, you got that right." You're like, "What?" Or when the agency doesn't pick up that it's a split screen, you're like, "Guys, like half of this commercial is a split." Like, these are <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, well, I 
uh, talking about split screens, uh, recently I, 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 I realized that, and again, this is just me not knowing how, how film is shot, but most of the fight scenes, when, when a character punched another character and the other character falls or falls or, 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 or reacts, that's never on time. Mm-hmm. Because it's a choreograph. So I've been doing, lately, I've been doing retiming the guy who gets hit. Uh. You know, because you have to retime him like two or three frames. So it actually feels like a hit because otherwise it's like they throw a punch and two seconds later the guy falls. <laughs> okay. Yeah, or you have to rotate them out and move them closer to the punch. And yeah, I, I've been doing that kind of stuff now in which I have to actually lift one actor up and, and speed it up or, 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 or move it closer to the punch in order to, uh, for, the, for the punch to work, for instance. And, and, and I never saw, I never saw that was going to be something we do, you know, because you, I never been in a choreograph fight, you know, but, but apparently, yeah, they throw and then the other ways and then fall. And so, so that right there, I think I will have to be doing a lot of those soon for, for another show I'm doing because now I am expecting that. Now I expect that every time somebody Yeah, I think that's, when you were talking the earlier about the, the first question about breaking down scripts, I think right. that's one of the most important things is to be able to look at a script and being able to just read words and say, okay, that's going to be something I have to deal with. You know, like, I mean, I joked about it. Babies, talking animals, uh, celebrities are always late. You can never shoot two celebrities at once. Uh, you know, punches, stunts, fight scenes, weather, exterior, you know, there's so many little things that just reading a word, you could, you can kind of understand what you might likely have to deal with someday. And I think that's comes with a lot of experience, but um, that that's a muscle that you have to earn uh, or learn early how to use. But I think also on that, like politically, again, that becomes like a a thing you have to like, you either have to have a side conversation going with the producer where everyone's like, we are going to say for the sake of getting this scene happening. Yes. But in the back of our minds, we are all knowing this is a digital background, but no one wants to hear that. So you look, say, we're just going to let them shoot it, but we know we're going to have to replace all of this because it's like, they've done a beautiful job of lighting it and it looks great, but it's going to be easier to replace everything than it is to like remove all the rigging and try and paint around it and stuff like that. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it becomes a thing like, you know, and then you like, you have a full CGC. And then they will hate you. They will hate you for that. Comment. Yeah, you just can't. <laughs> they that's the why final. you can't say that. You have, they will totally yeah, you hate can't you say that. it. You have yeah. to have it. You obviously in the department and the producers, you all had that conversation, but none of the filmmakers can know that's what you're thinking because like ultimately like, it just becomes a point of contention. And then like, cause some, I don't know, some DPs and some directors absolutely have a hundred percent like down to it with VFX. They're like, we know exactly what we're doing. Like, they're like, what do you need from us? Great, we got this. But others that have no interest or don't know at all. And you just, you know, but like, I mean, it's great reference, but like. Sean, what do, what do you think just off the, off the top of your head? Is it kind of a 50-50 split like that? Where like DPs and directors are into it, or is it? Are we seeing more no, of that? I, mean, I think there's two things because it's like you, 
again, like going back to an earlier point, is that it's not VFX's job to get involved or, or in um, interrupt the creative. So whatever, you know, you let them do their thing. And then even if we know we have to replace everything because it would just be too expensive to individually do each shot as a unique shot, it's like, um, it just is what it is. Like, if we, I mean, it comes with this argument. We have this argument all the time about VFX, CGI, or whatever it is, you know, and it's like, it's all CGI at the end of the day, but everyone's like, I don't know, I, there was a whole thing at the moment recently with Barbie or something like that. We were like saying, oh, we, the Guardian article or something saying, we want to do VFX like the 1910s, whatever it is, and the shot on the front of the page is like a blue screen. And you're just like, what are you guys talking about? And then the timeline is like, there's, I don't know how many VFX shots are on it, and like every vendor you could possibly think of is working on it. So it's like, you know, it's like, we're, it's a weird time to be involved in this, but it's like, I, I, I mean, I think it's because people are kind of like, they don't want to know about, or people say, like, oh, VFX is not CGI or whatever it is, but it's all CGI. It's like, like VFX, like right now, like for VF, for, for compositing, you know, I, there have been shots I've worked on where like literally the talent is the only thing that's left at the end of it because what you've had to do with all the reprojections and everything and to rebuild it in order to make a shot work, like especially when it's a um, when you're doing a one shot to another shot to another shot, right? Where you've got to make uh, the only way to do that is by sort of reprojecting the background throughout the whole thing, then rebuilding the cameras in between each take. But it's like at that point, your entire shot is digital even if it's done on using plates from the original thing so but that isn't considered cgi but like a foot like iron man flying around is so i don't know it's just kind of like it's just a weird mixture of terminology right now and i think some people's weirdly the film some filmmakers see the iron man thing as cheating versus doing some really nasty comp shots where you're like just slapping together something and painting it out frame by frame so nobody knows. I know which one is cheating out of those two. And it's definitely not having 400 people try and build Iron Man. It's like, it can take like, it, it can take a village to make these giant movies. And it's like, these people are enormously talented. So it's like, to kind of view that, that side of it as the cheating side and the other side of it. So it's just kind of like, I don't know, it's just weird. It's just a weird world right now of terminology. And like, I know, I, was, it, was it something like, um, I think it was uh, Mad Max Fury Road or something like that. Everyone's like, oh, yeah. you know, really practical, whatever it is. And even like George Miller said, like every single shot is a VFX shot. In oh, okay. Like, even he, yeah. I do remember yeah, articles around that time. It was like, it was all practical. And then you see, I mean, all the flames were added later. <laughs> like all, I mean, yes, there were there were performers on the thing, but like that was all like, you know. It's a tweaked. whole thing. Every single shot had a sky replacement on it. Yeah, true. Good you point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole middle. There's a whole middle section which is like day for night, which is like, right, right. Like, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, yeah, it, I think it's like, we're getting into the weeds with it, but like um, the CGI side of it is just kind of funny to me because it's like, you know, it's all, we're all working in computers. So it's like, are we just trying to pretend we're not I know. doing it on a computer? And it's like, 
it's just marketing i think people it's use totally it to marketing yeah it's like pr from the studios and certain filmmakers and yeah but um well speaking of like cgi um what what's your uh kind of setups for hdris on set i'm sure you guys probably maybe have a different so, each have a different setup of how to capture them and stuff like that I used to have a DSLR with a 12 millimeter fisheye lens, eight to 15, but I said it's 12 and it's just four pictures. Oh, okay. Four, sorry, four positions. I've seen people use like the little things, but I find this far, I find that far. I use that one. I use yeah, the DSLR. I, I find I'm just faster on the DSLR. And also I, I have a DSLR, so. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> so Inti, you, you use the, the Theta have, or have whatever? I use the data a lot. I think that it, it gets what it gets me what I need, you know. And and because again, I'm not looking for I'm not looking to do full um, reflection replacement or nothing like that. But I like to get an idea of, of of the environment. And 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 I usually use it to to cast some kind of like uh, environment lights on my comps, you know. And and I like to have my my. My environments. I like to, to know what was going on in that place when it was shot, you know, because you can get a, a, a lot mm -hmm. of things from that. And that what I like about the Theta is that it's really yeah. small, you know, and I just put it in your pocket. You, know, you can take it whatever you want. Uh, the big ones are really expensive, you know, and uh, I'm pretty sure John has some nice equipment there, but for, it's for not me, big. I mean, what do you, it's just a regular, I mean, you know, you, you can get away with like a very cheap DSLR now to do the. Yeah, right. I, I, actually, I saw I saw that this the, the new lens by 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 Canon that has the two lenses. Oh, I haven't seen that. Shot. No. Have you seen that one? It's a DSLR. In the DSLR, you can. You, it's a lens with oh, two heads. Okay. Yeah, it's the Canon. It's the Canon stereoscopic. You guys seen that one? Yeah, it's crazy. Like... Oh. It's the Canon stereoscopic. It would it would shoot you one eighty degrees, and 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 you can do two passes, and you can get the three sixty. Is I've used it, but I don't own. I don't own it, you know. But, but I, I seen what it cool. does, and it's really impressive. I have the Theta myself, and mm -hmm. it's good to me. I think it's Theta be the Theta be really useful for like if you're doing tabletop stuff where they've done like a whole like crazy little light situation they're doing practically, but then you know you need to add some CG elements to it, or you know you know that. Um, you're going to get a copy of the environment because like, you know you're probably going to have to replace some sort of cleanup on the model or whatever it is, and it's just nice to get those reflections back. Something like that little, is really useful for, for yeah. that because there's no way you yeah, can get it. Yeah, well, well said. I think it's always mm. about good, okay. better, best, right? And like what's good enough, what's, what do you need to bring out the, the, the proper toys? Um, some of my clients, they don't know that they're going to need it, so I, I sometimes I, I won't... Uh, get involved with too much or sometimes they're paying me to to get all that so you know a canon r6 with a canon 8 to 5 8 to 15 you know three directions from me plus either like a either a cam ranger or the old promotes if you haven't lost yours yet um uh or the little theta z ones are nice you know in a pinch but yeah that plus mirror balls and chrome chrome and gray balls and gray gray cards and a clean plate i mean that's that's about as good as you can get it just depends on what you think you can you can afford to slow down and capture but um yeah digital slr is important i think even these days now the cameras are getting stupid resolutions like 
our fives and our sixes are great because they could they could roll six or eight k off off of uh, off of a little ninja recorder. So um, sometimes you need video, and that's a good option. And you know, yeah, it's expensive, but it's um, it's uh, more expensive than not being able to save the day sometimes. Yeah, I mean, we've sw- like we were Canon for a long time, but we've switched now to Nikon, um, and that's because the image, like the I started learning about these things. There's like the thing called ISO invariance, uh, which is that cameras, if you want to go down a whole technical rabbit hole one day, just start Googling ISO invariance. But basically what it shows is like that the, it's the amount that as the ISO goes up, that it affects the image. And like uh, some cameras like Canon, for example, you can shoot at two stops uh, under you bring the, the the image up two stops and you start seeing purple in the shadows. And uh, the Nikon, for example, you shoot at a low ISO um, and you can bring the image up three stops and the image looks exactly the same. And uh, and just by, and there's no point going over ISO 400, for example, on the Nikon because, and the same with the Sony because they're the same sensor, because it's just the same as going into Lightroom afterwards and just gaining up the image. Um, so you're better off not baking that ISO into the that ISO noise into the image on your camera. You're better off doing it in post with Lightroom. So it means that you can shoot because one of our biggest challenges on set is always not having enough light. Um, we're always shooting in underexposed environments. So you run in there and you've got to get some set photography or you're going to take a photo of a texture or whatever it is. And you're like, oh God, I've got to hold my camera here for like a second and a half in order to get a decent exposure. But it's like, uh, yes, yeah, yes, so, I relate so to that. Something like a Sony yes. or the Nikon, you can actually shoot at a much lower ISO. Your image looks completely dark, but you put it in Lightroom and you gain it up again and it's perfect. And you're like, wow. Oh, cool. So it's like shoot at ISO 64 on the Nikon and it's incredible. Like we've been shooting four stops under sometimes just because it's the only thing we could do because we couldn't shoot at getting, you couldn't, you can't capture an entire environment and if we're doing second and a half exposures on every single shot, it's just completely unrealistic. So you can't, you, you have to completely trust the process because you're like, you're just looking at a monitor that's black in the back of your <laughs> wow, that's crazy. <laughs> pretty terrifying because you're like, oh my God. Like, but um, we did it and we were just like, wow, this is amazing. So there was things like that that was like, oh, okay. So there's little, little uh, um, things that you learn and then go with that's cool i i'll have to do some googling on that i i didn't know that about kind of like the canons and stuff like that so yeah that's interesting i like it i i believe you i totally believe you but the canon's image has always looked good out of the camera that's what's the good about it but like they like you can push the image and you it really falls apart and it's Mm. like that's kind of an interesting learning experiment this year for me really like we've been Canon for ages, like just Canon because everyone says use Canons. And then like, um, well, cause we wanted to go mirrorless because like you can't, all the camera makers now have said we're going mirrorless. So, and also it's so much lighter to have the, the mirrorless camera than the, um, uh, what's it called? Than the, uh, the regular mirrored. SLR. Yeah. SLR. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, all right. So, is there anything else you guys want to discuss about being on set? Like any other tricks of the trade or 
Anything on the top of your mind? Mm. I mean, the clean plates was a big one. Yeah. I, like that was, because uh, I think that touches across so much because it was like, and it does touch across that thing of like, you know, people say uh, the CGI looks fake or whatever it is. And it's like, that's a thing that people like say. And it's like, well, you don't like CGI because it's fake or it doesn't, it doesn't look real. And it's like, I think there's a lot to unpack in that comment of like, it doesn't look real because CGI can look very real, but that's not what they mean. I think what, because, and the biggest analogy I can give it to is audio insofar as that when you hear a guitar on a record, you're not actually hearing the guitar. What you're hearing is the preamp and the microphone. Like the guitar is very small. Like, yes, it can provide those tones, but like 80% or 90% of that sound that people say like, oh, that's the sound. Like that's the sound engineer's preamp and it's the sound engineer's microphone. So when people are saying like CGI, it's like what they're talking about is like, it should look like an Alexa because that's what you're seeing when you see an image, like you're seeing the image and then you're seeing what the Alexa's rendition of that image is. So like CGI, I think that's, that's why plate clean plates are so great because it's like, you're getting the camera, like what the camera actually recorded, not like what a DSLR did. And then we've had to put in comp to make it look like the Alexa or like what you've texted it and done all that work because like, you know, there's, you, you can go into so much stuff to make textures work, right? You've got, um, displacement maps, you have actual geometry where you build in all the cracks and scuffs and everything like that. And it can make a lot of work to make something look like real. And then even then that render doesn't look yeah. what the comment says, like it looks fake. Right. And you're like, <laughs> you're like this is using Arnold using like probably someone like a professional texture artist went through this you know, it went through all the right pipeline and the answer from the client is it looks fake. And you know, you're using all the right stuff, but it's like, the reality is it's because on every top of CG shot, it, see every, every CG shot shot can take a whole bunch of compositing work on top of it to make it look like the Alexa or red mm -hmm. shot it. And that's like, that's why clean plates are so powerful because it's like, there's no argument. And it's like, that can go to led walls as well. I think where you're like, I think a lot of the, a lot of the technology has run away with it. People saying like, oh, you know, Unreal Engine is gonna duh, we'll put the LED wall in environment up there. But it's like, then you compare it to like an Alexa and it's like, nah, it doesn't look real, your sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. We're a long way from getting final pixel out of the game engines, I think. Yeah, actually that's a good um, topic. Have you guys had much experience on LED walls at all? Yes. Yeah. I haven't had, I haven't. I haven't had the experience where the, well, no, no, we, the only one we've seen where it's actually stayed in has been where they put plate photography on the LED wall. Oh, okay. You know, and like, I, I think it's valid. Like, I think it's a hundred percent valid as a thing because you can see how people don't like working in front of a green screen, but like, yeah, if we need to replace that, like it's brutal, mm -hmm. like, Brutal. It seems like there is a lot of work um, and it also depends on what wall you're shooting on because then you're gonna have to kind of replace, you know, wherever the ceiling is, <laughs> you know, it depends on how wide that camera is as well. So, yeah. It's also that thing about prep, right? Because we had a conversation earlier with some, um, I think it was Randy talking about the, the prep side of it. And it's like, I, I've never mm -hmm. been on a shoot where everyone is like, this is exactly what we're shooting. <laughs> We've agreed it two months ago. Mm -hmm. 
we've already agreed on the visual effects. <laughs> right, we've already right. done them. Now we just need to do the foreground element. It's just like <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> No, like I was, I always joke. It's like when my clients ask me if I like, um, if I like virtual sets and I was like, yeah, I, I really need to pay off my boat. Um, and I don't own a boat, but like, I really want to own a boat so I can, so that, yeah. Yeah. I've, 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 I've spent a lot of time and made a lot of money fixing virtual sets. Um, moray, color correction issues, depth of field issues. Brightness. Um, it's, it's the right tool, but the bright, exactly. But it, it's it's a great tool. It's, it doesn't solve every problem. Mm -hmm. It causes problems, uh, but in commercial world, like <laughs> no, there's yeah, they don't know what they're doing until after the job ships. So uh, to to have that much foresight is uh, is is very rare. That's wild to me. It's impossible. Sorry, uh, into you. I didn't want to cut you off. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. I I I'm listening. I mean, I've never been in front of a, of an LED screen yet. You know. But I do agree with Randy that they do not, actors don't act the yeah. same when, mm -hmm. in a green screen than in any other place. That's, that's something that is definitely true, mm -hmm. you know? And, and yeah, I mean, I don't have that experience, but I'm, I'm learning. <laughs> I know now that it's going to be more, <laughs> hey, Randy? Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> it just depends. So, like, prepare for the worst and... Uh... Hopefully we're paid by the hour. Right, don't flat bet them. <laughs> like, like, I've seen it pretty used pretty well for car comps, but even then, like, they've put the footage up on it, not, a, not an unreal sequence. They've put, like, a, a driving plates, sort of, one of those. Yeah, with with the red, with the blacks of the wrong color. Yeah, that's so. the problem, yeah, because the, screen, the, the LED walls don't have, they don't go to pure black, and they don't go to, like, super whites. So, yeah. and... I mean, again, and, and then that comes down to like, what the hell is happening to the image? Because like, we're, the panels are Rec 709, the camera's shooting in log, and we're working in linear. And we're going to go for linear. Exactly. So yeah. gonna... <laughs> and it's going yeah. to Snapchat. Oh, like, and it's on. a 9 by 16 yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just kind of like, yeah. it's just, it seems like a crazy thing. But like, I think like, um, I think there's a halfway that's really interesting, which is this idea where you can still shoot on a bit of a green screen, but you could have LED walls either side of the talent. So like, like mm -hmm. I don't think, uh, and we've been playing with this idea right now where like, um, basically what, the, what you want from the LED wall is the reflections on the actor to integrate them into the environment. That's why you do these LED walls because it's like it looks great. You get a lot of stuff that would be really hard to capture um, on a green screen. But you could, I think, you can do both, where you could have like foreground LED walls, and they could play like video, and then you could have background green screen, and that way you'll get the yeah. interactive light on the faces. The actors have something to look at that they can kind of picture it and say like, great. And also it means you could use much lower resolution LED walls on the front because they, um, it's just yeah, light. It's, you actually want the light, the old, the lower resolution LED panels are much brighter. Um, and the higher resolution LED panels that you need for the back are just not bright enough. So I think you, yeah, I think you can get the best of both worlds. Wow. Yeah, See, me too. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm taking those dude. I'm taking notes. It's my two notes. <laughs> <laughs>
steal my idea. I don't know. You know what though? I, I, I can't claim idea over that. I, I mean, I've stolen it. I think, um, improved on it, but like I saw it being used on a breakdown for, um, everything everywhere all at once. Oh, and they were doing it like for that thing where, she, where they would fly backwards. They'd have, uh, these two light panels that would just flash, but like, uh, or like some low resolution, like uh, video panels that would play it to get all the lighting on the side. And it doesn't really matter if it's completely out of sync with the background. Like it can be like a few frames off because there's no way you can tell like watching it. That's cool. So it was a clever idea, but I feel like what you could do is you could incorporate like uh, that with bigger panels and that mean that you could see, the actors can see a representation of like what there's what environment they're in and mm -hmm. then so yeah no, that's cool that's really cool so i'm not claiming it was my idea i just want to say that <laughs> <laughs> so you worked on everything all at once nice john <laughs> no <laughs> so actually you know where it was it was on the breakdown of it that um what's his name i need to check that uh, out i haven't yeah. seen the breakdown that's cool it was one of the boris effect the boris effects yeah, guy that um what's his name Oh, Brian Fox. Brian Fox. No, the. Oh no, Ben. Ben. Uh, the Bre Brown Brown Brownlee. Uh, uh, yeah. Ben Brownlee. Okay. Yeah. Oh, there was there was one thing that I thought was interesting to share too that um, is is a good reminder. I didn't I didn't learn this till recently, but I'm kind of embarrassed to have just recently found it out. But um, people have been making motion pictures for a long time. What, like 130 years? Like when was Moon Man? 1902 or something? Um, you just got to show up with compassion because we've been only doing this job for a, for a few decades and they don't really, really need us. So sometimes they do, but just don't, uh, don't remind them that they need us sometimes. Um, so just showing up with compassion, being a good teammate, trying hard, being kind, sit in the back of the van, speaking spoken to, wait for your turn. That's very important. Wait for your two. Uh, no number two in the uh, yeah no number two in the in the uh, in the in the in the moho and uh, the rest is cream cheese. That's awesome. <laughs> and enjoy craft services. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not too much. But not too much. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, cool guys. Well, thank you so much. I think we covered a lot. Um, I know it's a huge topic, so you know maybe we do a part two in the future. But I, I think we we covered some good ground today. And um, yeah, I just really appreciate your guys' time. So thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah, thank you. yeah my pleasure. Thanks, guys. This episode of the Logic Podcast is brought to you by AJA, together with Flame since 2006. We would like to welcome to the Logic family our friends at Hotspring. Hotspring is the future of VFX outsourcing. Hotspring connects you to great artists to get your projects done making it easier than ever to access the best talent around the world. I highly encourage if you need any help with roto, paint, 3D match move, or cleanup, give the folks at Hotspring a shout. You will not be disappointed. www.thehotspring.com And last but not least, Logic Academy Pro. If you haven't checked it out yet, I highly recommend it. There are so many cool courses that range from CG car replacement, cleanup, nuke for flame artists, mocha, color management, VFX supervision, and also meetups for mentoring your career. So check out logicacademypro.com. Thank you for listening.